Welcome to Voices of E-Learning with your host, J.W. Marshall and Lena Marie Saleh, a podcast that highlights the people who are changing the way we learn and grow. Each week, we'll speak to the innovative minds who are pushing the boundaries and transforming online education. We'll explore their stories and discover how they're empowering students around the globe to achieve success. Join us on this journey and get inspired by the power of online learning. Hello and welcome everyone to today's episode of the Voices of E-Learning. I'm your host, J.W. Marshall with Summit K-12. We're so excited to have you on this episode, along with my co-host, Lena Saleh from Canva. Um, And our guest today is none other than Evan Erberg, who is the founder and CEO of Proximity Learning. And we are going to get into some really um, interesting topics uh, and maybe debates today. Uh, So let's just dive right in. Evan, we like to start every episode by giving you a chance to introduce yourself. And rather than asking, who are you and what do you do? uh, We like to ask, who are you and what do you love about what you do? Sure. It's good to be here. Nice to see everybody. Um, So I am here um, because I, uh, one, I I believe students deserve, you know, equity. And I built proximity learning in order to reach those kids in the urban and rural communities. And I love being able to go into a school and give access to a teacher to a group of students that haven't had math in multiple years because there was no teacher. And that's what it's all about for me every day is how do we reach more students. I love it. And you certainly are filling a gap that has been there for a long time, but certainly through the pandemic uh, has just been unbelievable to see companies like Proximity really help us triage the situation and, and hopefully now turning the corner into uh, you know, being a part of the curriculum, a part of the school day, a part of the future of learning, because we know that high dosage tutoring works. Um, but before we get into that, uh, I would love to talk about uh, a really hot topic right now, because it is back to school uh, and the teacher shortage that our country is facing. And uh, you've seen recent headlines, many of our audience has probably seen this as well, uh, talking about, is there really a teacher shortage? Are there qualified teachers that aren't choosing to teach, or is this really affecting, you know, every single district, uh, or is it just in certain regions or pockets or schools? Um, and uh, you are in the space and uh, a thought leader in, uh, you know, this area. We'll just love to, you know, kind of get your thoughts on how real is the teacher shortage, and uh, and then we'll kind of dive into some of the solutions. That's a great start, and uh, I've also read a bunch of those articles, and Um, I understand the point. Um, There is not a teacher shortage uh, because we have millions of people trained to be teachers. There's a shortage because they do not want to teach. And so that's where we have this visceral shortage. And the shortage started before COVID um, because of how teachers were being told they had to do their job. The passion was being taken out of teaching. Um, and so when the passion's taken out, what is their left salary? And there's low salaries right now. The starting salary in the bottom half of the country is uh, $30,000 for a teacher. Um, and so you have to have a lot of passion in order to accept the job for $30,000. Um, and when you take that out, you now have people leaving. Now you throw on COVID, which was basically like lighting, putting lighter fluid on it. And you coupled um, teachers that are already not happy with their job. So now having to wear masks every day, being forced to teach students online and in front of them. 
um, being forced to teach online without any resources or training, um, having kids coming in um, and they had to test their temperature daily or they had to do different things. Like the amount of responsibility tripled for a teacher and it burnt them out. And then COVID's over, right? Kids come back to school. So do you know how many kids were held back over the two years we had COVID over the summer? You know, take a wild guess how many kids were held back each summer during COVID. I would guess a lot. Right, you think? Uh, the answer is zero. Yeah, that's what I would have guessed. Zero <laughs> kids were held back for two years. So a kid that's now in fifth grade is actually a third grader or a second grader. A kid who's in third or fourth grade actually never went to school, never even went to school. So teachers have to actually train them on, on the, the decorum of being a student before they can even train them. Um, and, and they're being held accountable for their students testing at the level they're supposed to be at. Um, put that now on top of teachers. And yes, this is why we have a teacher shortage is because if you're a teacher and you're not being armed with the resources to help these kids and a reason to you know how there's $140 billion in education right now, um, it's supposed to go towards tutoring. You know how much that's actually been spent? You could guess in a fraction, maybe 10 billion. Yeah. Wow. So you got 130 billion still there that districts have not invested in tutoring. And so you have students coming into class and teachers now have to be a tutor. They have to be a teacher. They have to be someone who actually teaches them how to be a person, um, how to raise their hands, go to the bathroom. And this is someone who should have already had that training. This is what teachers are now dealing with on a daily basis. So yes, they're, there are more than enough teachers to fill our schools today. But is there a teacher shortage? Yes, because they don't want to be in classrooms. That was like one of the main reasons why I decided to really make a shift too, was we had in my fifth grade classroom, we had, I had 40 kids that I taught and I had 10 kids who qualified for special education. They were so significantly behind and the administrative team was upset that I had qualified or wanted to qualify these students um, because they were about to go to sixth grade and they didn't know how to read or didn't know how to do like basic math. And I'm like, well, if they continue and we don't do this, then they have zero services in place to like help them thrive or succeed or get anything that they need. So like there has fundamentally been this problem for quite some time. And exactly what you're saying, like teachers are just being asked to do more and more things without compensation. And in addition to inflation, it just becomes almost null and void of you know, what you're doing every single day. So definitely agree with all of those things that you've said. Um, so on the, on the landscape of the teacher shortage um, at proximity, how are you guys basically working to fill those gaps and complement what everyone is doing within the public school system? So the first thing that we do is we try to get the unengaged educator re-engaged. So those teachers that are leaving education or have already left, uh, the passion for education hasn't left them. They love children, they wanna help, they just don't wanna do it in school districts right now. And so we're going after that group or actually 60% of our teachers are moms home on maternity leave. 
um, we allow them to work and be a part-time work, take advantage of the gig economy. So it's first, it's finding those teachers that still have that passion and then going to the districts who need them. And to be honest, it's your urban and your rural. Um, they're the ones that are getting the majority of the teachers leaving um, because it's teacher choice. And so you can work in a district with a strong PTA that supports you and the parents are there on their kids, making sure their kids are doing what they need to do, turning in their homework, showing up for class. Or you can work in a district where there is not a strong PTA and those kids are not respectful to you as a teacher. Where are you going to go? Right. So they're leaving. And so, but those kids are the ones that need the teachers the most. Because what I like to call um, where I went to school, which is in New Jersey, um, I like to call my district teacher proof. Because it didn't matter if my teacher was good or not good, my parents made sure I was going to succeed. Uh, I had tutors for math and reading when I was in elementary school because I had problems. Um, and I was, my parents were there. Not every student gets that. And your urban and your rural communities, they don't have parents all the time as advocates, or they just can't be because they don't have the resources. So they're the ones who need the best teachers in the country. So that's what proximity learning does, is we go into those communities where those students need advocates, where instructional equity isn't happening. And we bring teachers that are not willing to maybe move into that community, but they're more than willing to educate those children. And we allow them to zoom in every day and lead instruction live. Because I also don't believe you could teach kids asynchronously. And unfortunately, that's what happened for almost two years um, with education. They turned online and they took out, they contracted with companies and it became asynchronous. Whereas click, click, learn. I believe students need to build trust with a teacher first. Then they can learn. If you don't build that trust, then you can't really build a quality learning journey. And so that's what we do is allow the teacher to be the center of education and do it from wherever they live. And that's how we're advocating for students and trying to fight that inequity issue and also allow teachers options. Before us, there weren't options for a teacher, either come into school or you don't teach. Um, or if you do teach online, it's just asynchronous. You don't actually get to build relationships with the kids. So it's also really helping our teachers stay engaged so we don't lose more teachers from the education space. And we allow them to live and work wherever they want. And then we empower them with resources and training and mentoring to really become better teachers. So that's really how proximity learning is doing our part to fight the teacher shortage. Oh, I just want to jump in right there because that's a good point about not putting the kids on asynchronous. A lot of teachers had this misconception that technology was coming to take their jobs, that they weren't needed. And we hopefully have completely dispelled that myth that the teachers are the center of the classroom, building relationships. I'm curious, has tutoring been viewed similarly or differently as far as uh, pre-pandemic and then during and now coming out of it? What has been the view from the teacher in the classroom to having that additional help from tutors, whether that's on-site or outside of school or virtual, um, or is this just kind of a brand new thing? But it sounds like teachers probably are loving it, having the additional help. But uh, what has that evolved uh, through the last couple of years? Tutoring is extremely helpful when it's done right. Um, and that's the key word, done right. <laughs> um, so when you do pull out um, for, let's say, math and reading, if the kids have a problem and they're able to work in small groups 
with um, a tutor, you're going to see a lot of success. Um, what we've seen come out of the pandemic is stuff like paper.com, which is just chat tutoring, or you bring, in, bring tutors in from India or Asia who don't understand the American system, and they're trained to be, they understand math, but they understand math in the American system. It's a different math. And they're, so districts are trying to do the cost-effective thing to bring in tutoring that has not been helpful. Um, and you do have also districts that only want on-ground tutoring. So they try, so they don't actually want virtual. Um, the problem where we are today is there aren't people willing to come into schools to tutor either. Um, but if it's done right, we've seen unbelievable things. Now, tutoring before the pandemic um, what, was pretty substantial. There was programs locally with colleges. Um, there were mom and pops doing tutoring locally, and they did a good job. There was online ones like varsity tutors if parents needed it, and they, again, did a good job. VIP tutor. They, there are companies who did decent jobs, but that was because there's only a small subset of students that really wanted it or needed it. Now, every single student in America needs tutoring. So how are you going to find high-quality tutors to meet the needs of every student versus just a small group? And that's the problem we're facing. And so that's why teachers um, are facing the brunt of it, where um, they're having to do tutoring, teaching, and taking care of the kid. First, just teaching, and then someone else does the tutoring. Um, an ideal tutoring program, the ones that really work are after school every week. Like, you're doing math Tuesday and Thursday from 2.30 to 3.30 after school with a tutor. You're doing reading every day after school, Wednesday and Thursday, or Wednesday and Friday, whatever it is, that's tutoring that works. Where you just put um, a tutoring system in place and give the option for the student to choose when they want to do it, they always choose not to do it. <laughs> um, and so I've seen the industry uh, about a year and a half ago, it was taken off. All these tutoring companies were starting. It was a craze. Um, when we were in it, um, but we literally, it's about a year and a half later and half those companies have folded, um, because school districts, like I said, haven't invested. Um, and also parents are realizing it's not working. And so we're kind of back to where we were at the beginning of the pandemic, which is crazy because it's been a good year. Um, we're back to, well, what do we do? These kids need more help. Um, the tutoring we put in place didn't work. The teachers are leaving. What do we do? And so we're kind of back to square zero, trying to figure out what is best for the students. And like you said, Leo, when you had a class of 10 students that had special ed, well, imagine a class now where every one of them needs an IEP, right? That's what's, that's the crazy thing is usually there's 10 kids that need it, 10 kids that are advanced. And then the rest of the class is in between. And you're able to differentiate that class based on maybe three types of students. Now you have 30 students that each need individualized learning plans. Um, and then couple that with six, uh, six classes, that's 180 students that a teacher needs to build individualized, customized plans for. That's hard. And, that's, and I don't know where we're going to go with that. I think it's getting tougher and tougher. And I, and I don't think that the 
I don't think it's the end of individualized learning plans. Like I think as students progress in the way that students learn, we're going to see probably more of that. Now, can we get more efficient, hopefully over time of being able to have testing and different things that can kind of help support that? I think so. But one thing I wanted to touch back on was you mentioned mentoring. And I think this is an often missed opportunity in school districts alone is the power of mentorship. And JW and I talk about this a lot for like teachers who are transitioning or whatever, you know, any field that you're in. But I think teaching most importantly needs mentorship probably more than any other profession um, because you are alone often every single day. Like you don't have like a network, like, you know, I can ping anyone and be like, hey, what are you doing? You have like time to talk to me. Teachers don't have time. You don't even have time to go to the bathroom. So like having that opportunity to have that like partnership option with other people is really, really important. So I'd love if you could talk a little bit about how you guys are doing mentorship and how you're seeing that um, have to have your teachers. That's a good point. Uh, Cause one of the solutions school districts are focusing on is alt cert. Um, and it's a good option to get people that have a skill in math, science, English, reading into classrooms into become a teacher. But these programs I go through are all asynchronous, most of them. And then the first day they're actually in front of students is the first day they have, they start their class. They don't have four months of uh, student teaching like a normal program. And so the dropout rate is over is probably 70% of the people who go through Alt-Cert, go into classrooms, leave um, because they don't have a mentor. A mentor is key. Because for us at PLI, when we bring new teachers on board, they might be in a, a dynamic, great teacher in the classroom, physically. That doesn't mean they're going to be a dynamic, great teacher online. It's a different way to teach. And so when we bring in new teachers, we first have them go through five days of training. Then they have to follow a teacher and they're paired with a mentor teacher for three days where they actually go into class with that mentor teacher. And the mentor teacher teaches with them. And then they take over class and our mentor teacher for the first week is there with them, showing them how to teach, helping them, providing questions, answers, feedback. Um, when you're going into something new, no matter what job it is, right? Even when we have a new corporate employee come into the company, they're paired with a mentor. Um, not because we don't believe they can do their job, but because we want them to feel comfortable in the corporate environment, have someone to turn to. Hey, if I have to go to the bathroom, where do I go? And I hire a lot of teachers. It's, we hire, of my 150 corporate employees, over 100 of them are teachers. Um, but what's funny is, like you said about going to the bathroom, they'll come into our office and they'll literally walk up to their boss and ask to go to the bathroom. And in the corporate world, you can just go to the bathroom whenever you want. Right. But that's where a mentor comes in is it's transitioning them to what life is like in our corporate world, what life is like teaching online. And when you go into a school from an alt cert mentality, you're not you haven't been a teacher. You've been in a corporate world or you've been in the military. That's what you know. You need someone to just navigate you through life, um, not even just teaching. But what do you do every day? Where's the teacher lounge? When can you go to the bathroom? What are you supposed to do on lunch duty? That's just simple things that if people aren't taught and shown and have support structure there for them, they get scared, they get they, they doubt builds in, and then they quit. And we saw that happening 
last year when we hired 300 teachers because the growth went crazy um, literally in a month and we put them into classrooms. We started to see mass resignations um, literally on the first day, um, not because they couldn't do it, but because they were scared. Um, and that's why mentors are so important. Yeah, and just being able to ask, you know, is this normal, right? When students do this or do that, if they've never experienced it, that's really, really difficult. Um, and, you know, being able to ask, um, you know, how would you have handled this situation? Just a sounding board almost seems like yeah. uh, would be good for, for everyone. But kind of backing up another step to, you know, how are we addressing this? I think we're on, on a, a good track here as far as what more can we do to make the teaching profession what it was intended to be? How can we stop putting more things and more things and more things pre-pandemic, during the pandemic on educators um, and, and maybe remove some things? Um, we talked a lot on this show about teachers uh, having more leverage than they've ever had in history to kind of do what they want without fear of, you know, being reprimanded. And we know a lot of teachers in their minds kind of know what they feel like they need to do for their students to be successful. And their hands have been a little tied maybe with some of the bureaucracies uh, and, and things. Uh, give us your take on kind of what, if you're a teacher listening to this episode, you can be doing to, you know, to innovate, to take care of your students, to take care of your own mental health and really make the profession what be the change you want to see in the world, right? Make it what you want it to be so that maybe uh, we can make these changes and have teachers come back or new people, young people want to be teachers again. I know big one is pay and that needs to be addressed, but outside of pay, what are the things that teachers can be doing now that are back to school in the classroom today? It's a loaded question because um, <laughs> it's, uh, it's kind of on a place of, uh, I have a dream, uh, but I would say one point you did make, which is true, is teachers do have power now because they can get a job anywhere. Um, so, I would say teachers have typically been taught to just obey the system, right? You come in, you do the system, you put your head down, you do your work, <clears throat> and that's it. You don't speak up to the principal. Uh, you listen to your, the senior teachers. Um, you don't outshine them. I would say now is the time where you should speak up. You say no, like what you said, Leah, when you're like, no, those those 10 kids deserve to be classified. Um, you know, we need to have more teachers willing to speak up and say, I don't agree. I think we need to do this differently. And once more teachers really speak up to the administration um, and to the principals and to the go to school board meetings, even and and pound in, you, you have people on school boards that the only qualification is you have a pulse and you're old enough to drive. You know, that's the qualification to run a hundred million dollar school district. And they're the ones making the decisions every day, right? They're, they, they're, they don't have to have run a business. They don't have to have gone to college. They don't have to um, understand what hiring and firing is. You know, there's none of that. You have a pulse, you're of age, you're a school board member. Um, and they're the ones making the decision. So they need to hear from teachers. Um, every day who are in it um, and telling them these are the problems, this is how we change it, this is how we ensure teachers stay because they're not hearing it, right? And they're not always equipped to make the best decisions. Um, so 
like my suggestion would be for teachers to be vocal um and to vocal in the right way obviously but vocal and you know talk to your principals because if you get fired cool go to the district next door you're hired <laughs> and you're probably hired for more money than you were making to be honest um so there's no reason not to stand up and that administration doesn't want to lose you <laughs> so they're not going to fire you because they can't lose you and they know that you can go next door so now's the time to step up and uh i was talking with a bunch of colleagues and we were we were talking about this topic and we're like how would this how do we solve this and one of the things i said like it would be amazing i was like i would love to see this happen i know it's not but i'd love to see a superintendent who comes in with the full support of the school board where they are behind him to make drastic changes and that school superintendent says great you know what Let's look at what a school district is. What is the number one thing that we need to do is provide high quality education. That's our product. That's our output. All right, so what do we need to do? We need to find the best teachers and hire the best teachers. So we need to increase salaries and move money there. All right, so why don't we take out money from all the ancillary things we do? Maybe we don't need as many sports. Maybe we don't need as many electives. I know we need them, but you know what? Education. Maybe we don't need a beautiful football field. You know, maybe we focus in on just education. We hire teachers at a $100,000 salary and the ability to get $20,000 bonuses if their students perform. And imagine what happens in the district. If they're able to change their budget around and focus their money specifically on the product, which is the student. And gain the best teachers with the best resources to do it. And yeah, you might not have everything else that district normally has. But you know what? Those kids are going to have an insane education and they're going to go on and do great things and those parents are going to be happy. But like, you don't know how many times I've walked into Title I school districts and they don't even have textbooks. Literally, no textbooks for their students. It's not like they have computers and they go online. And, no, there is no educational material at all. And I walk in because they're employing us to teach. And you walk next door to this school that looks like you're in a third world country. And there is a $75 million football stadium that they did a bond built right there next to the school. <laughs> and, uh, and I'm having conversations about where are we going to get textbooks for these students? And the football team's practicing in a state-of-the-art training facility. Um, these, this is our world. And so, and it's the school boards that make those decisions, right? So this is why we have to figure out how to empower teachers to go up and talk with the boards, to say no to the administration. We need to do what we need to do what's best for the students. Um, until that happens, I really don't know where we're going to go. So I think the takeaway for teachers listening is, first of all, to realize the power you have, because so many don't don't realize it. Um, and then second, to, to use that power for good and not waste it, right? You obviously could check out and just quiet quit and do the minimum and not get fired. But we know for so many educators, almost all of them, that's not why you're there. You're there to make a difference in the lives of these students. And so hopefully if you're listening, just know that you can do that better than ever because 
you shouldn't have as many uh, strings attached and things, rules to follow. And it, I hope that most district administrators, principals, school staff um, are in a position where they want to learn. They want to partner now in new ways because they are trying to figure out the same problems. It seems like there is this coming together through the pandemic at all levels that we all want what's best for the kids. But I think the teachers has been the unheard voice that they haven't been vocal enough. So I love your your point there that now is the time to be vocal and to innovate and to do what's right for the students. And, and if it doesn't work, you know you're doing it for the right reasons and you'll learn from that failure and you'll do better you know, moving forward uh, in that district oh, or yeah. in a different district. Yeah, I mean, teachers are some of the best people you could ever employ. They're smart, they're dedicated, they're passionate. I, like I said, I have over a hundred of them in the corporate structure now. And it's amazing what they do. Um, and I'm like, if they bring this type of passion into the classroom, which they do, I, I understand why they were such great teachers and also why they got jaded. Because they every day came in with, an, with this passion and with the dynamic mentality to change education. And you're right, they didn't speak up, which they probably should have spoke up to more. But I'm happy to have my staff because they're unbelievable. But um, yeah, it's it's if you're gonna check out, at least try to do something before you check out. Try to try to make it better for the teacher coming after you. I think also on the note of like speaking up, I think I think a lot of times it's better to not speak up alone sometimes in the school district. So if you're the only one speaking up, right. then then you become the target. Um, which I have experienced myself um, and, so, and so many others who have actually left, you know, the classroom is there are others like you. And so that's why it's important to do networking within your own school districts too, to kind of band together and kind of be like, this is what we, this is what we know is right. And this is what we could do together. And there are others. Most teachers feel the exact same way as you do. It's just making sure that you're positioning yourself that way. So I think that's an important just like thing, but come together. So I, I also want to say something about the school boards. Um, that's something that I think as teachers, you just like don't really know that you can really do that <laughs> a lot of times. And I don't think it was really until we saw this like craziness of the pandemic of when all these school boards where meetings were just going off the rails with complaints of different things that um, really didn't have anything to do with really the everyday teaching and the classrooms for the most part. But I think speaking up to your school board is is a pretty important Thing because you're right they are the decision makers and we forget that sometimes yeah from the day they're the ones who really drive the decisions of the district and so educating them is only a good thing all right we're going to save school board reform for another full episode <laughs> uh but there's one last uh, topic i wanted to touch base on real quick um and that's the students through the pandemic that actually thrived in the online environment uh, maybe the students, students that were more shy or uh, not confident to speak up in the classroom full of students. Um, and virtual tutoring has really uh, just been a great thing for them. And now as we are coming out of the pandemic, we run the risk of losing a lot of those really good virtual options that have come to be. Um, but schools and districts are looking at how do we have more virtual options that do meet the needs of those students that, or the parents that would prefer more hybrid or more, you know, virtual options, tutoring and just curriculum. Um, give us your thoughts on what is the future and looking at the crystal ball of that mix of uh, online and on site. 
and in specifically regards to those students that are not wanting to necessarily go back to the way things were of a fully on-site you know, experience. Yeah, we've we've been diving deep into this. I mean, unfortunately, virtual schools have become politicized. And uh, states like South Carolina and Texas and even parts of Florida are like, no, like no virtual schools uh, at all. And so it's forced districts to literally shut them down. Um, even though they realize students want them. So what the pandemic also did is allowed parents to realize they can have their kids at home and still attend public school. And um, there's two parts there. One, imagine you're a kid getting bullied every day. Um, now you're at home and that's, it's a big group of kids at schools. So now you're at home, you're thriving in school, you're happy, you're doing the classes you want that kid deserves to be able to be taught where they, where they succeed. Um, two, um, the parent. Um, I'm sure if anyone here has parents or you know someone who has kids, I mean, who has kids, like I have three young kids, um, you know those helicopter parents, you know those parents that want their kids at home if they can. And all of a sudden, parents have their kids with them for two years and they don't want them going back. Um, they just want them at home. So they're being, they're like, fine, I'll homeschool um, instead of public. Uh, well, what happens is when school districts don't build the ability for kids to learn where they want to learn now, post-COVID, where people expect online now, you know what? Those parents are going to go somewhere else, which means the ADA is going to go somewhere else. Um, Austin alone, Austin School District is down 10,000 students, 10,000. Think about that. They get $11,000 a student with federal dollars on top of that for spend and everything. So on average, 10 to $11,000. Think about how much money is now not coming into the district by people living in that community um, because they didn't provide options, 10,000. $10, um, and that's just Austin. Um, I've seen this across all major districts. Um, COVID created the opportunity for people to learn online. Most people did not do a good job of it, and most people did not like it, but there was a group of people who thrived. Um, so why should we not offer them the ability to go to a public school that's online and allow that school district to also maintain their ADA? Um, but we're getting into the place of now, what does a quality virtual program look like? <laughs> And so that's the thing where you bring in like a Florida virtual school and ingenuity and stuff like that, where it's more asynchronous, just throwing an asynchronous school up and saying, great, we have it now. Here you go. It doesn't mean that kid's going to be successful. They need access to a teacher um, and a virtual school needs to be done right. And um, I hope more school districts maintain their virtual schools and grow it because if they don't, there's competition out there. Um, if you look at the stock price of K-12, it's blown up because they do virtual schools in almost every state and they get the ADA because they went and uh, partnered with the school district so that they actually pull. So that company is siphoning dollars out of school districts pockets because school districts have chosen not to do virtual schools. And um, districts are going to have to realize they need to figure out how to meet all their kids where they need, or they're going to start having serious budget shortfalls 
separate than just tax problems is kids not coming back to school. Um, one of the big programs we did actually was in West Virginia. Um, we educated almost half the state and built a virtual school for them. Um, and what the districts actually did, which was, I have to say, surprising and smart, is they went to their homeschool kids that they've lost over the years, pre-COVID. And they said, hey, now we have a virtual school. It's a public school. You can come back to us. And so they actually brought in several hundred families that had left pre-COVID or the beginning of COVID back because they were able to now have a virtual school that was run by the public school, was online, had live instruction from us, um, and they were now able to get their ADA back and into the district. It was ingenious because it was now able to build up their budgets again and to engage people where they want. Homeschooling parents don't all want to do it on their own. They most probably don't. They're forced to and forced to figure it out. They just have beliefs that they want their kids at home. And that's okay. It's their choice. Um, but if you give them access to a high quality virtual public school, why would they not send their kids there? Now their kids could also be a part of sports, right? And they could do other activities that they have to figure out. So, you know, there's a lot of, the, the industry has moved leaps and bounds from where it was three years ago. Uh, three years ago, I was being told by school districts, oh, this virtual thing won't work for our kids. Now, everyone has, believes there needs to be online, but are we gonna now take it, hold of this opportunity and grow it and invest in it and do high quality virtual programs? Or are we gonna fight against it to try to go back to where we were three years ago? And depending on what state you live in, that fight is real. Yeah, and I'll never forget, I think it was the summer after COVID hit, right? That March that no one will ever forget, spring break that never came back. I think it was the New York Times that wrote an article called, you know, online warning didn't work. And it yeah. was just the most unfair article ever, right? It had been three months, the entire country tried to turn on a dime. And, but the expectations have gone up for online learning every semester thereafter. And the, the progress and, you know, the strategies have just continued to get better and better. So uh, looking again in the crystal ball into the future, you know, uh, we're not going backwards, hopefully. And that's part of our show is to make sure people don't go backwards to pre-pandemic levels because they really weren't great for a lot of student populations. But uh, what in, do you envision? Is it um, just choice on-site versus online? Or is there gonna be more hybrid options? Kind of like we were just talking about uh, homeschooling, turning to public virtual schools, but still being involved socially and in sports. Um, you know, is that going to be a growing trend moving into the the, the post-pandemic years? I'm not entirely sure where it's going to head, but um, I think we're going to look at new trends that are going to be coming out because there are new new technologies coming out with companies and uh, there are innovative school districts. I think you're going to see a split, honestly, by where you live. Um, you know, certain states are investing in it and encouraging it, and certain states are going back, you know, want to go back to the Stone Age. So uh, it's it's really going to depend on, uh, you know, what state you reside in right now. Yeah, and sometimes even within a state, what district, urban, suburban, rural, you know, and and maybe, maybe the answer is it, it depends. And 
districts to school boards, hopefully not all bad guys, uh, can make the right decisions for their local area. And, and hopefully they can have at least more choice within each local community to provide the options and solutions that work best for their community um, moving forward. Lena, we'll give you the, the final word as we're wrapping up our time here. Oh, I was just going to say on the on the sense of trends and virtual schools and things like that, what I really think is state agencies, the departments of the states should really think about how they invest this when they can throw and purchase a whole tool or do a whole adoption for a state. then they should really be thinking about investing the same way, like the investment doesn't necessarily just have to be school districts or a charter school or things like that. Um, but they could really think about this in a much larger scale, which this which is what I think should be happening. Um, and then also what Evan said, like the competition isn't going to stop and parents are going to stop knowing what was available to them and the pandemic. So the ball is already rolling. So it's whether the districts want to jump on the ball and roll with it, or they want to hop off and fall behind and, and then they will see budget for a shortfall. So I think, I think that they need to make a conscious decision about which direction they want to go and if they want to stay behind or if they want to move forward. Yeah, I mean, you could take COVID as an opportunity to say, all right, we we now understand we need to change our, the way our education system runs and let's move forward, right? There's a big opportunity there. Or we could just, <laughs> just forget about it, right? Um, I mean, things that we're doing, we're actually looking into VR now. We're actually building out a full VR classroom so it could be immersive. We're looking at what does the future of education look like? And for us, it's VR is, uh, you know what, teachers aren't going to be coming back anytime soon. And Zoom is cool, but it's 2D. You want to get to 5D where you're immersed. So that's how we're thinking about it is, all right, let's think about VR and glasses and training teachers that way. All right, what else is next? I wish we could get like, remember like they did concerts where like Tupac was like, Zoom, like mm-hmm. um, 3D on, you know, yep. um, I, I, I wish that would become cheaper. Because <laughs> I would love to figure out how to make it. So we just give this contraption. All of a sudden, our teachers are right in front and walking all over the classroom, you know, in the 3D mode. Uh, but we got to be thinking about how do we get access to the educators our students need without them having to be there? And also, how do we build great teachers locally? Um, and there has to be innovative programs. And we have to change education. You want to, We have to figure out how to keep teachers there. That's what we hope is this mass exodus, um, which is now painful. It's never so painful. Now it's really painful for everybody in a district. So hopefully because there's actual pain, they'll change and say, all right, how do we how do we go from having an education system that hasn't changed in 300 years? Um, I mean, if you were to take somebody who was 200 years old and bring them back today, they would be amazed by how we talk, how we eat, how we dress, how we communicate, how we date. Um, and then you take that person and put them in a school building, right? They look around, they'd be like, wow, you made an amazing change in this classroom from when I was here. Instead of a blackboard, it's a whiteboard. Wow, everything else is the same. We're still learning on physical textbooks when the entire world is on phones and computers. We still have a teacher in the front, Sage on stage. We're still teaching the exact same subjects that they learned. Um, and you need every subject that um, they learned back in the day. It's, nothing has changed. Everything else in our world has changed, but not education. And so uh, 
I hope COVID has, you know, has created an opportunity and the teacher shortage creates an opportunity for us to look at our community schools and say, all right, now what do we need in order for us to get through to the 21st century? I love it. Yeah. And I know a lot of people are looking at virtual reality and things and some are thinking, how do we recreate the classroom experience virtually? And and but the innovators are thinking, how do we blow up the classroom experience and build a new, better virtual experience that isn't sitting in a row of desks watching a virtual teacher stage on a stage, right? So I think there is a lot of hope and optimism that there are a lot of uh, smart people working on this problem and have been for a while and, and will continue to do so. Um, we wrap up the episodes uh, the same every time because this is a show of uh, hope and inspiration. Um, give us another good story of uh, success of how you've helped the district, uh, partnered with them. I know you had a great story, uh, uh, West Virginia, how the, the schools are, uh, you know, getting those homeschool students back into a virtual system. Give us another story to end on uh, as far as the impact that proximity's having um, had in recent months or years or is, or is having right now. One of the stories that I like to talk about is um, we uh, got um, Roswell, New Mexico was a client and um, I wanted to go to Roswell. Um, I've heard about it. I've seen the movies. I mean, I'm ready to be taken up. Let's go. And so uh, we went to visit and, um, you know, we walk around the schools and one of their high schools built in the ground, like Cold War, like literally the high school is underground. Um, we go in They've had no math teachers for six years for their high school. So 80% of their kids are failing. There's no teachers coming because no one's moving to Roswell. And um, we go into their classrooms and we're like, right, where are the textbooks? So like, oh, right here, there's 30 textbooks. We're like, all right, is that for the first class? They're like, no, that's for all 180 kids that will be in this classroom. And so this is how we start off and the principal literally tells us parents are yelling at them every day um they're not sure what they're going to do and so um we start our program we build out curriculum for them uh we come back four months later and the principal is literally crying she's like you've changed it for us she's like our kids are are learning they're, the parents aren't coming and yelling at me anymore She's like, the kids are actually engaged and happy and they want to be there. And we have facilitators that are in our class. So when we come in, the live teacher's there. And then there's a facilitator that's the local person to handle classroom management. Well, when we go in, we pair that facilitator with our teacher and they now start working as a team. Well, the principal was like, the facilitators that you have, they're now going to our um, faculty meetings and they're talking so positively and we actually have to calm them down and maybe put them in their own group because the other teachers are getting frustrated about how excited they are about how their students are doing and all the unique programs that are all the unique things they're doing in the class to engage the students and the facilitators are talking about that in the faculty meetings. And uh, they're like, they're so happy. They're like, you've changed the dynamic of our school because kids were coming in and expecting just to sit and be babysat for the entire school day. Now they're getting instruction and they are wanting it and they're doing well and they're succeeding. And literally the principal was crying. And uh, that really, that really spoke to why we do what we do and that why, you know, proximity needs to continue to grow and be a, a force for good in education. 
because there is hope. There's companies like us. There's other companies like that out there that are fighting for students. And like I said, there's hope. There's technology. There's people. There's disruptors. Um, we need to keep doing that because our kids deserve the best. And, you know, it's when we stop doing that, that the kids won't get it. So. Well, I love that story because it highlights a couple of your points, not putting it all on one person, right? The classroom management, the teaching, the, right? You have a team, you know, and, and and the team is working together. They're connecting with students, getting them the content, but also those, uh, you know, people in the classroom that are facilitating, that's a, could be a great pool of future teachers, right? They're going to be exposed to good teaching and learning, and they're going to say, hey, you know what? I could do this. I think teaching aides are the number one source of why aren't we converting more of them to, to teachers and why aren't we filling that pipeline as well um so i, I think we're going to have to have you back on here later this year to uh, get some more updates or early next year and uh, and keep the conversation going solve the uh, school board problem um and uh you know just uh, again continue a great conversation so uh that's all the time we have today uh thank you so much for joining us on this episode it was a pleasure to be here with you guys and uh hope you have a good weekend and Lena, thank you as always for joining. Any last thoughts before we sign off? No, I just think that that story is is why we do what we do, all of us. That's why we all work in the tech space, because that's what we want to do. We want students to feel success. All right. Well, to our audience, thank you so much for joining another episode. Uh, we love you interacting with us on social media and reaching out and uh, giving us feedback. And uh, we look forward to seeing you on a future episode. Check out our website, our social media. And uh, remember to always, always keep learning. Mm -hmm.